Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 23, 1 through 7, and verses 13 through 25. Hear the word of our Lord. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found him in with no guilt deserving death, I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus condescends to be judged by a provincial Roman court. Jesus stood before Pilate. Pilate had the authority of Caesar, the most powerful ruler in the world. Pilate commanded the soldiers of Caesar's empire in this specific province. Jesus stood before the court of the Roman empire the Roman government, when he stood before Pilate. Jesus and his kingdom have stood before such governors and kings and governments century after century for the last 2,000 years. He stood before the Caesars. He stood before the kings of France and England. He stood before the ancient rulers of India and China, before the modern governments of Germany, Russia, and China. In the United States. In every century, Jesus and his kingdom have been brought before the governments of this world. And the governments have been asked, what will you do with Jesus and his kingdom? That was a question before Pilate. The answers have been varied over the centuries. Even in modern times. Russia, China, 
Germany. We've heard, we will destroy Jesus and his kingdom. That's what we'll do. We've heard nations say, you're free to preach here, Jesus. Just don't interfere with our lives. Don't interfere with our politics. Some have said, Jesus, we want to build our nation on the principles of your word. This is one reason. Have you ever asked yourself why so much time in the Gospels in Matthew and in Luke, so much space was given to these trials? This is one reason all the writers of the Gospels gave so much space to the trial of Jesus. When they were writing, in the actual days they were writing, the greatest consistent opposition to Jesus and his church was the Roman Empire, the government of Rome. These people, when, when they were reading, when Luke was, was writing this, Jesus and his church it was before the government of Rome. They were struggling with the relationship between Caesar and Jesus, between the kingdom of Rome and the kingdom of Christ. That's where we are. I want you to see first as we look at this passage, the assumed superiority of physical power over spiritual power. The assumed superiority of physical power over spiritual power. Look at verse 1. Then the whole company of them rose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, the king. And Pilate asked him, are you king of the Jews? And he answered, you have said so. Jesus had been moved from the ecclesiastical trial, the church trial of the Sanhedrin to the civil trial of Rome. What was Pilate's first concern? He did not ask if Jesus was a son of God. That question was asked by the Sanhedrin. That was their concern. He did not ask if Jesus claimed to be Messiah. That had been concerned. That had been the concern of the Sanhedrin. It was not Pilate's concern. What did he say? Are you king of the Jews? He was concerned about Jesus' political aspirations. He was concerned about Jesus' political claims. He was concerned about Jesus' political agenda, his political power. The leaders of the Sanhedrin had read Pilate right. Notice they didn't say, Pilate, he claims to be the son of God. Pilate would have said, well, so does Caesar. They had been concerned about his claims to be Messiah and deity. That had been the central issue of their trial. But when they came to the Roman court, Pilate, this man claims to be a king. He's inciting the people to rebellion. They knew Pilate's sole concern would be about any threat Jesus posed to the political or military power of Rome. Let me ask you a question. Was Pilate afraid of Jesus? The answer from reading every gospel is, of course not. Why? Why did Pilate not fear Jesus? Because he regarded Jesus as a spiritual leader. He considered him to be a political nobody. Jesus was the most popular preacher 
in Israel in that day. Pilate knew about Jesus. It would be impossible. You know, what president of the United States in the last 40 years did not know about Billy Graham? Well, that was the attitude that Pilate had toward Jesus. He's only a preacher. You know, why would the Roman Empire fear a preacher? Jesus told Pilate that his kingdom was not a political kingdom built by his military, built by military power. He said, that's not who I am. Look at John in your scripture sheet. Look at John 18, 36. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Everything about Jesus shouted to Pilate that he was not a man of military might. He was not a man of political intrigue. Now, and Pilate, in the depth of his being, believed that military might, physical power, was more practical and far more effective than any spiritual power. John records the two men face to face, and they stated the essence of their faith. And this is what John was saying. John knew and understood this. Look at John 19.10. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said. Don't you know I have power? See, that was the question. I have power either to free you or crucify you. Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. What was Pilate's faith? Pilate was saying, my faith is in political and military might. I can kill you, Jesus. Jesus said, my faith is in the rule of God. And Pilate, all through this, is trying to free Jesus. But don't take that to mean that Pilate was a benevolent man. He was not. Pilate was a tough, confrontational, penultimate Roman leader. He was bloodthirsty. He was known for being bloodthirsty. He had over and over again offended the, the Jewish leaders with insensitive sheer power and force. He was all too ready to flex the muscles of Rome and shed blood. He was saying, my faith is in the power of Rome. I was sitting in Jack Trayer's restaurant in 1963 with my friend David Morgan in Bristol, Virginia. We were having a theological discussion one evening there over dinner. There was an older gentleman in the, in the booth next to us, and he had listened to our conversation. And finally, he turned to us and said, do you mind if I ask you a question? We said, no. He said, so you really have faith in God? And we affirmed that we did. And David then asked the man, do you have faith? And he said, yes, he did. And well, where is your faith? Where would you place your faith? And he said without hesitation, my faith is in my M1 rifle. 
He had been in the infantry in World War II in the European theater and had fought across Europe in the front lines. What had saved him? What had killed those who would kill him? His M1 rifle. What was he saying? My faith is in my might and my power through that rifle. He was a descendant of Pilate. His faith was in physical power. Now you, you may think of that and say, well, what's this really have to do? Don't you get it? Wherever you work, wherever you go this week, wherever you work or play this week, you will have pilots all around you. Men and women of the world who rest their lives in the social, political, monetary, positional power of this world. They have such faith in that kind of power that they disdain, they're disinterested in the spiritual. Why are most people in Fayette County not in church this morning? Because they hold the spiritual power of the church and of God and of Jesus Christ in disdain. Many years ago, uh, a young man in the church I serve became a participant in our, our youth activities. His father was a monetary and political power player. For two years, this young man attended our youth activities. His parents never came to church. He was listening. Almost after, I was eager to meet his parents. I didn't know them, didn't know anything about them, except I knew that he was a man of, of some monetary and positional power. I was at a party, a social event, and I met his parents, introduced myself. And it was very, very awkward. They had a complete disdain for anything of a spiritual nature or relating to Christianity. It was almost like I didn't exist. They just sort of paid no attention. He was not mad. The father was not mad. He wasn't cruel. He was a bit rude. But he was so taken with his position and wealth and social position and the power that flowed from these things that God and Jesus Christ, the church, it, it didn't mean anything. And he actually told me, I mean, you know, I'd known this man 10 minutes and he said, my son's involvement in, in the church, that will come to an end. This is just a phase he's going through. One day he realized that it's empty. Doesn't mean anything. You see, Jesus had confronted that man through his son. And he was once more, Jesus was once more standing before Pilate. Don't you realize who I am? Don't you realize my power? But we can't be haughty. I cannot deny the existence of Pilate's faith in my own life. I think it's the bane of the church and of many Christians in any age. I've been more like Pilate than Jesus. I look back and I see over the years that in the ministry, I've trusted much more in my own ingenuity, my own leadership, my own strength than I did in God's power. In the day-to-day -day building of membership, facilities, programs, and staff, so many times I used 
and rested on my talents more than seeking God and trusting in prayer. Now in the pulpit, the prayer that I prayed at the beginning of this message. I know that my preaching, I know, in not only in my head but in my heart, I know that my preaching and teaching can't change your heart. It has to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. But in most other aspects of my ministry, my actions demonstrated more faith in my power than in God's. And even in preaching, this is a confession, even in preaching, if I had to choose between prayer and lengthy preparation, many times I chose the lengthy preparation over the prayer. What was happening? I was becoming like Pilate. The assumed superiority of physical power over spiritual power. You see how relative this is? And it doesn't let up. Secondly, I want you to see the expedient substitute of political correctness for truth. Do you think political correctness is new? <laughs> Go back to the Garden of Eden. It's not new. Look at verses 13 and 14. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people, and after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Skip down to verse 23. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they had asked. And he delivered Jesus over to their will. Pilate handed down a verdict and sentence that he did not believe was just. Why? Because he did not believe in justice in the absolute sense. To understand what happened, you must read from John's account. Look at verse 37. You're a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered. You're right in saying that I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born and for this reason I came into the world. To testify to the truth, everyone on the side of truth, listen to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against this man. Now, Pilate was not, when Jesus said, I came to bear witness to the truth. Pilate was not asking as a, as a serious philosopher, what, what Jesus Let's talk about truth. What is, what is truth? Pilate laughed, the empty laugh of a cynic. <laughs> Jesus, what is truth? Truth? The truth is, Jesus, you're a spiritual dreamer. The truth is that there's no such thing as absolute truth. The truth is that Rome rules. The truth is might makes right. The truth is unwanted babies are exposed. The truth is women are raped by whoever conquers. The truth is slaves are property. And the truth is I will crucify you if I want to. That's the truth. There was a principle at work in Pilate's life. And the same principle is at work in Fayette County this morning. When men and women do not believe. Now listen. When men and women. Have you wondered where this inane Political correctness comes from? It's not hard to understand. When men and women do not believe in absolute truth, then relative measurements like political correctness or social correctness will become the standards. 
Why has something as inane as political correctness become so popular? Because we have been taught for half a century there's no such thing as absolute truth. And when you take absolute truth out of the equation, there must be a substitute. And that substitute, by nature of being a substitute, is relative. At the end of the day, Pilate did what was politically correct. What he did in his mind was neither just nor unjust. It was just expedient, politically expedient. We said earlier that Pilate had been insensitive to the Jewish culture and religion. He, he had even been rebuked by Caesar from Rome for his bloodlust. He could not afford for the Sanhedrin to appeal once more to Rome. Rome had already warned him. His choice was not just whether to set up, to set free or crucify the Galilean. His choice was between truth, real justice, and political expedient. The assumed superiority of physical power over spiritual power. The expedient substitute of political correctness for the truth. We really don't live in a new day, do we? Thirdly and finally, I want you to see the power of Jesus' kingdom to accomplish what Caesar's government never could. Now, if you've been asleep or you sort of checked out at the beginning, wake up. You need to hear this, especially if you're a Christian and you're a member of the church of Jesus Christ. The power of Jesus' kingdom to accomplish what the power of Jesus' kingdom to accomplish what Caesar's government never could. Look at verse 18. With one voice I cried out, Away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Verse 25. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. The one they asked for and surrendered Jesus to their will. Luke did not include the whole story of Barabbas. You know the story. During the Passover, it was the tradition of the Roman government to turn loose a Jewish prisoner. They set one free. Pilate, in an effort to, to gain Jesus' freedom, said, we'll turn Jesus loose. Or would you rather turn a terrorist like Barabbas loose? And he thought, surely they'll say turn loose Jesus, but they didn't. In the middle of this judicial fiasco, though, if you'd been standing there, you would have said, this is ludicrous. You would have said, where is God? God was in the middle of it. That's where he was. He had it all in his hands. In fact, God, in this judicial fiasco of turning Barabbas loose, God was encouraging Jesus. He was encouraging his son. He was giving Jesus a great picture of what was actually happening as he stood in before this silly and aimed court, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, as he stood looking at Calvary that was coming. Judgment, awful judgment. God gave him this bit of encouragement. Jesus, why are you there? 
Why are you enduring this ludicrous circus? This is why you came. You came to die in the place of the thief. You came to die in the place of the murderer. You came to die in the place of the liar. Folks, Barabbas was you. Barabbas was John Sartell. Barabbas could say the nails should have been driven into my hands and feet. I should have been crucified. I believe God gave this to Jesus to encourage him, to remind him, this is your mission. You came to die, to destroy the power of Satan and sin in this world. No state or government could conquer death. Not Rome, not all the power of Hitler's Germany. Not all the power of China, Russia, or the United States. That was what Jesus was doing on the cross. Government at its best brings order to society and controls the way we live. Jesus changes hearts. He changes it at the very core of our being. Pilate was wrong in his evaluation. The people who think that physical power is superior to spiritual power. Pilate was wrong. His power, the power of Rome, it was like a little spark being compared to the noonday sun. Jesus had the power to turn Pilate into a speck of dust. He had the power to turn all the, Rome, all the armies of the Roman Empire into lint. Blown along by wind. He laid down his life. Why, why did he go to the cross? He laid down his life to accomplish something the power of Rome could not. He calls us to do the same. That was the whole call of Jesus. What did he say? You want to come after me? Here's the first thing. You deny yourself. You deny your will, your strength, your power. You take up your cross. You go and die. You follow me. You want power or you lay down your power? You want to be used of God to change the world? Deny yourself. Come and die. You know history. You know what happened. You know the rest of the story. Pilate and Caesar should have feared the power of Jesus. Jesus' disciples at Pentecost in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what? They invaded the Roman Empire. That's what they did. Years later, there was a man named Paul sitting in jail of all places in Rome. The Rome the Pilate represented. And he wrote a letter to this precious church at Philippi. And the church at Philippi they loved Paul and they were worried. They were wringing their hands. Their great saint, their great founder, the great apostle Paul was in prison in Rome. He would certainly be killed. And they were worried about him in prison. And then he wrote in Philippians 1.12, they're on your scripture sheet. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, this being in jail, has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard. I think the one translation says the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. 
Christ is behind me being in chains. Christ has put me in these chains. And even the imperial palace knows it. And then in Romans 4.22, he says this. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. See, he was using a code. He was saying, hey, guys, you and Philippi, my brothers and sisters, know this. That the gospel is changing people's lives in Caesar's own family. The gospel was conquering even the armies of Caesar. Even in Caesar's own house. What are we saying? Before we end, we just make one thing very clear. Jesus' power did not stop with the transforming of men's hearts. It didn't stop with the forgiveness of sins through the cross. Now listen and we're done. When kings and presidents and generals and merchants and bankers and soldiers and teachers and accountants and street sweepers, janitors, whatever. When they were changed by Jesus, he did not tell them to stop being kings and presidents and generals and merchants and bankers and soldiers and teachers and accountants and street sweepers and janitors. He told them to do their jobs, to live out their lives under the rule of Jesus. Jesus is the king of kings. You could say he's the Caesar of all Caesars. He's the Lord of lords. And under his reign, schools and hospitals and children's homes and rescue missions are built. Justice replaces favoritism and bribery. Mercy restrains anger. Humility replaces prejudice. If you don't think he has a political agenda, you don't understand. Pilate, my kingdom may not be of this world, but it will make a difference in this world like no other kingdom has ever made or ever can make. Napoleon understood of all people. Listen to what he said at the end. This is Napoleon Bonaparte. I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. And then he said this, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. End quote. We make the mistake sometimes as Christians at looking at this table and seeing only the forgiveness of our sins and the spiritual salvation and how great that is. But in this table, Jesus has not only purchased our salvation, he bought our entire lives. There's not a, there's not a piece of your life, there's not a second of your life, there's not a part of your life he did not purchase. And in this table, he continues to redeem his entire creation from sin and from Satan. And now we'll sing an appropriate hymn.